Here in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, Moses is continuing to sermon, and he's pouring it on. And he's just telling that next generation, get ready to go in, and just when you get in, make the right decisions. So 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness or were born in the wilderness. They watched the older generation die off. Now they're the future generation. We saw last week how God said that they would obey his commandments. They would, their children and their grandchildren. So we saw the connection of the three generations. We looked at that at detail in detail on Saturday night here, and now we pick it up where we're just going forward with just these exhortations from Moses led by the Holy Spirit in this wonderful book of Deuteronomy. Verse 1 of chapter 8, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, and you shall remember that your Lord God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know it was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you." So here in these first five verses, Moses is reminding this next generation that grew up in the wilderness or left left Egypt as teenagers, because obviously everyone over 20 did not go into the promised land because of the unbelief at Kadesh Barina. So you had to be under 20 at Kadesh Barina to still be alive at this time. So maybe you were a teenager when you came out of Egypt and you were part of Passover and that deliverance or maybe you were born in the wilderness. But Moses is recounting to them, very important, God's faithfulness to them for 40 years. And he, and he does remind them that it was 40 years. That God was faithful to them, and he led them. He, he led them in the way. And so he says, every commandment you need to do. So again, we're reminded to obey all of God's word, not just the parts we like, but all of God's word, that God be true and every man a liar, and that they were led these 40 years in the wilderness, and to remember that they were led these 40 years in the wilderness, but that 40 years in the wilderness had a very important purpose in their life, and we see it here. Our wilderness wanderings and our personal experiences where we go through dry times or difficult times or stretching times, we often refer to them in the body of Christ. It was our wilderness experience. We moved somewhere, and things just didn't go the way we thought we would, and it was kind of a wilderness experience. Or we got this new job, and it was like a wilderness experience. Or we went away to school, or it could be any number of things. We joined the military, and for four years, it was a wilderness experience. We use this term in the body of Christ to describe something that was not the promised land. Because let's be honest, there's a big contrast between the wilderness and the promised land. So the wilderness is the place of preparation. And we read here, God says that he, he humbled them and he tested them to know it was in their heart. He humbled them and he tested them to know it was in their heart. Now, God knows what's in our heart. It's more for us to know what's in our heart, that we would know it's in our heart because God knows everything. He humbled them and he tested them to reveal them. And that's what the wilderness experience will do in our life. Those difficult trials, those difficult seasons, not the difficult experience like the one day difficulty thing or a bad day, but that wilderness when you just kind of got to plow through a difficult time and you just got to do what you're called to do. You got to go to work when it's not easy and it's, it's difficult and it's meant to teach us things and it's meant to give us character. It's meant to take us deeper in the Lord 
less dependent on ourselves, more dependent on the Lord. And as we see from what the Lord says through Moses here, to humble them. Our wilderness experiences, when we go through difficult times, when we go through trials and tribulations and, and, and times that we just feel so helpless, I wouldn't say tragedy because the context of the wilderness isn't so much a tragedy. It's more like trials and tribulation and just a really difficult thing where it seems like if life were a sporting event, every call is going against you and the ball is just not bouncing your way. It just says like, you know, we just can't, like we say, I just can't buy a break. Like, I mean, we do this and it goes that way. And it's kind of like when you see a football team finally get a first down and then there's a, up, oh, there's a flag, bring it back, holding. You're like, oh my goodness, we can't, we just can't buy a break. And sometimes it feels like that in life. So obviously their wilderness experience was 40 years or when they were born, they grew up in the wilderness. So it might've been 20 years or five years or as they would understand it cognitively or whatever as a young kid, like, oh, you know, grandpa passed away in the wilderness and grandma too, but you know, mom and dad are here. Like it just, you know what I'm saying? Like it was just this, this message, it, it is for all levels of the human experience that were there hearing it. And when you go through a wilderness experience, you can't protect the people you love from it, right? Like if you lose your job, it affects your spouse, it affects your children. It affects everybody. If things go wrong, like if you have a physical ailment and health issue, it affects everybody. It just doesn't affect you. So we understand that. And we need, as, through faith in Jesus Christ, we know that those experiences are, are there and they'll work together for good. Like Romans 8 says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we know that our wilderness experiences are from the Lord. Now, some people wander in the desert because they're wandering in the desert and they took a wrong turn in the Sinai and that's what they chose to do. Or some people just like to live in the desert, right? Like literally, some people just like to live in the desert to be left alone. But when we use it figuratively for the believer and the follower of Jesus Christ, we know that we have these experiences that God allows and, and puts us through. So we will be humbled because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So to do a great work in anyone's life, God is going to allow trials and tribulations and wilderness experiences to humble us. I mentioned it just last week, but I mentioned again the amazing, fascinating testimony of Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. How when he came out of seminary, he was very eager to be used in ministry, and he thought he was an evangelist, but he truly was a pastor. And God had him pastor these small churches throughout the Southwest for 17 years in these small, well, Tucson's not small, but Prescott at the time was pretty small. And he just took these pastorates, and he had two years worth of sermons, and he, and he just, he grinded it. Like, even when you come out of college and you think of, like, you have student loans or you don't have student loans or whatever, and then you got to get a job and you got to pay off those loans and how that works, and you got big loans because you got a big job and good pay, hopefully. Hopefully you got something like that if that's the case. But there's a process where you just kind of 20, 30, 40 in that age range where there's just things are happening and, and, and God's molding us and shaping us, and it might happen sooner based upon what happens in your life. Again, because you can't protect people younger from death and heartache and things like that that would create a wilderness trial and experience. But the good news for followers of Jesus Christ is they all work together for good in our life. And it, and it allows the Lord to show himself personal to us as a father with a son or a daughter. And that's why it says in the, in near the bottom of verse 5 that you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. And that's what, you know, parents discipline their children for their own good. That's the idea. And that's the proof of parenting. And I always say the only thing worse than being chastened by the Lord is not. You want to be chastened by the Lord. You do. That's in our best interest. And so often when we're raising children, 
particularly our son Timmy, whenever he did anything wrong, he really wanted to be caught so he could be punished and get on with life. That's really how it worked with him. You know, like he always felt better after he got spanked or disciplined or whatever it was because it was proof that we cared and we don't want to get away with stuff. Parents show how much they love their children because they don't let them get away with stuff and they hold them accountable, whatever that accountability might look like. Because we have to prepare our children for life, not to pamper them to be crushed by life or run over by life, but we prepare them for life, how to navigate it. And that's what we do in the body of Christ as well. We don't want a, a soft congregation. We want a loving congregation, a gentle congregation, but we want a congregation with fiber and character in Christ that can handle trials and storms of life and come through trials. So we realize here the Lord, he's in a covenant with them, and he loves them, and he says, I, I took you through a 40-year wilderness to humble you, to test you, and to reveal you because I love you. And he's, that you'll know in your heart that as a father chastens a son, so I'm chasing you. So when we have those times, and some of us have had those times, some of us are in those times, and certainly you can't live 80 years and get to eternity and not have these times if you belong to the Lord, that we want to let that happen. In fact, where it says in Proverbs that that the Lord chastens, it's whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And that's a good thing. So there's a few topics in here, but the main thing is the wilderness was a testing place to humble them so they could go in. See, if they're not prepared in the wilderness, they're not going to, the wilderness is a humbling place, it's a testing, and it's a proof of sonship or daughtership from the Lord. But then, if that doesn't happen, you're not prepared to go into the promised land and have the right character, the right disposition, the right perspective, the right attitude. So it's very important that those things happen. And again, this is why it's so important that we have to let our adult kid, children go through stuff that they go through. You just you have to. You have to let them go through it in high school. You have to let them go through it in college as adults because life happens and the refining process has to take place. The wilderness is important to shape our character to be prosperous in the promised land. And so we have to go through that those experiences to get us where we're going. We have to. In other words, if you don't know poverty, it'll be very hard to handle wealth. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? I've learned to abase, I've learned to abound, and I've learned through that that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you only knew abounding, you wouldn't really know what abounding is. But if you know abasing, then you abound, you understand, and you can be entrusted with either, actually. If you, can be, if you can be refined and humbled by abasing, then you can be entrusted with abounding, and you can even go back to abasing because you've already learned the lessons of it. Does that make sense? This is all about character, and that's what Moses is reminding of. Then we read on in verse 6 that they're in a covenant relationship. We read on. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and fear him, for the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land, and a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valley and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills can dig copper. You can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. So, in their context, God was going to take them into this promised land. It was called the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's a really good land. Like some people live in very not good lands. You need to be able to grow stuff. 
You need water, right? You need, you, need, you need water. You need soil. And people go to war, and they've been going to war since the dawn of creation over water, resources to grow food, to eat food, to have surplus food, and then not have someone take it from you or make you pay tribute for it. He gave them the very best. He didn't give them the worst house on the block. He gave them the best house on the block. He didn't give them the house at the end of the, the, you know, the alley backed up to the freeway, which is all right if that's you in Orange County because you're doing pretty good with that. <laughs> he gave them the ocean view at Dana Point. He gave them the very best. That's what he gave his people. He would say in other places, you'll be the head, not the tail. He has given them the very best. He's given them the vineyards, the olive groves, everything. The, the fresh water, the best water supplies. He's given them the very best. And by the way, when Caleb went into the promised land in the book of Joshua, he claims those springs and gives them to his daughter for her wedding day, right? If you know the story. He's giving them his very best. Men strive and fight and steal and connive to steal the best when for God's people we can trust in him to give us his best. And that's the lesson of this text. We trust in the Lord because he's our provider, he's our protection, his presence is our everything, his person. So it's, isn't it good to know you don't have to get out there and scramble right now when the whole world's scrambling? We're his children. He's got his best for us. For time, space, and matter, and for all eternity. He's got his, now the best is eternity, without a doubt. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in his kingdom. And he says that eyes not seen or ears heard what he has prepared for us. So we might think if you know someone's estate or trust and inheritance, you might say, well, that's their in inheritance. And so at some point, we're going to get a part of that inheritance if we're in the world estate. But in God's will and estate, he just says, I, it's everything. And I can't even describe it to you, but you got to trust me in it, that you're going to get it when you step into eternity. So we're going to get his best in this life in the sense of what he has for us, his calling, his provision, taking care of us. Because Peter said, Lord, we, you know, we kind of left everything for you when the rich one ruler walked away. Because he wouldn't let go of everything. And Peter's like, hey, you know, we kind of did that for you. What do you think? And Jesus' like, yeah, but, you know, how much more will you have in this life and the one to come for those who've lost things? We have to trust him as our provider and trust that God is good and he's going to give us his best. I'm speaking to all of us, myself included. We need to know he's got our best. Because if he did this for Israel, how much more does he do it for his church? And I'm not talking about, like, the all the temporal things that get left behind. I'm just talking about life itself, the joyful life, the abundant life, and meeting our needs. I'm grateful that I don't have to come up with some great plan to take care of everything, but he's going to provide it. He goes before us to the promised land, and whatever we're going through, the learning to be faithful in this life and the little things and the big things and in this season of our life, is preparing us for greater opportunities and greater things to be entrusted to. What does Jesus say? To him who has, her who has, more will be given. But to him who hasn't to do anything with it, they didn't get humbled in the wilderness. They didn't f learn from what was in their heart, what was revealed. They, they were tested and they failed. They didn't learn from chastening. What do they get? They, get, they don't get anything. It gets taken from them and given to another. 
So we want to trust in the Lord. It's always a test. It's always about being faithful and growing and learning and being humbled so we can be entrusted with things from the Lord. And we can enter into all the good things. He says he's bringing us into a good land. I want you to think about this right now in your relationship with the Lord. He is bringing you and I into a good land. Everything forward with Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit bringing us into a good land in our relationship with God for which is the purpose of our life, abundant life, And he's got things beyond our cognitive capacities to understand for eternity, for the blessings. And we receive them by faith. We see them by faith. We join Abraham and Sarah. For Abraham looked for the city which had foundation, his builder and maker is God. And he lived in a tent, even though he owned all of Israel. Never built a house. So we're reminded in this text that what he did for Israel, where he said, in which you lack nothing, we're not going to lack Now, he did say that they went hungry in the wilderness. I allowed you to go hungry. But there's a purpose in that. It's not that God can't provide it. And it's not that God can't bring it or figure it out or get it done. But there's a purpose. So if you're hungry, you might say to yourself, why is God allowing me to be hungry? What does he want to teach me from being hungry? Figuratively. From a lack. So later on when he would meet that need that we're entrusted with, what are we going to learn from it? Like, how can, how can we do this? It's all zeros. God just adds zeros. If you're faithful with the one, you're faithful with the one. If you're faithful with the one and a zero, you're faithful with that. If you're faithful with the one, a zero and a zero, you're faithful with that. And then he might give you a one, a zero, zero, zero. And I know many millionaires that I've spoken with, and they'll tell you the same thing. It's just zeros and decimal points. It's just multiplication. The real issue is learning in the wilderness what God wants to teach you in character, godly character, to prepare us for something better that he's bringing us into. So I ask you this tonight before you go your way. Ask yourself, uh, know that first of all, you've not lacked one good thing. The, The clothes haven't worn out. The shoes haven't worn out. It's all good. He's bringing us into a good land. So that means he's bringing you and I into a good place. I believe in 2021, the Lord's bringing the church to a good place. He's bringing us to a good place. I believe there's a good place for the church in the future on planet Earth, don't you? Yeah, I believe there's a good place. I'm filled with faith and optimism. I know there's difficult things that we're looking at, but ultimately, it's a, he might make us hungry right now, but he's bringing us to a good place because that's what he does with his church. He brings us to a good place. And you study church history for 2,000 years, you go, he's bringing us to a good place. And a place where we don't really lack what we need. They, they, they're going to lack nothing. Now, again, it's contextual for them as a nation, but the spiritual principles there, like, he, he's going to give us what we need. Now we read on in verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there are fiery serpents and scorpions in a thirsty land where there's no water, who brought water for you out of the the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power, my might, and my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers at his today's day. Then it shall be, if by any means 
If you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify again to this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroyed before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. I love this. It's like God's like, okay, I'm humbling you. I'm testing you. I'm chastening you. I'm giving you character and you're learning to be faithful with a one and a zero and a decimal point and two zeros or something. I'm doing this. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to a really good land. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elevate you in a position of, at work. I'm going to give you, you know, you've been a, a captain. Now you're going to be a major or a colonel, right? You know, you've been this, you're going to be that. You've been the vice president, suddenly you're the president. It's, I'm going to elevate you to this. And when you're elevating that position, you suddenly have way more power than imaginable. You're not the assistant pastor in a small church or the senior pastor of a big church, whatever it might be, right? You just... The, the shoe fits, you can figure it out. Like, you're the, you're the boss and you're in control that when that happens and things have multiplied for you and good things are happening, because that's how it was for them, don't say in your heart, I did this. Like, wow, I'm the best contractor ever. We finally arrived. Like, I got all this staff and all these people. We got the cash flow, the capital, all this stuff. There's, 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 we've been talking about this. There's a danger in prosperity. There's a danger for faith in the place of economic wealth. It's a, it's a very challenging thing. There's something in humanity that it's hard to be entrusted with power and wealth because we start to think, and this is what God's saying right here in the text, you say, I did it. My power, the might of my hand. I'm just quoting what the Bible says. Like, I'm so smart. Wow, I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm the smartest woman in the room. Man, it's amazing. Like, I mean, these are smart women, but wow, I'm the smartest one. Look at this. I have more wealth than them. I, I, I hire and fire them. Like, it'd be easy to do that. Unless you are connected to the Lord and you realize, wow, the Lord has given me this, and I need to bless him. Because we were told previously back in verse 10 when you eat and are full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which is given you so I am the boss but I'm blessing the Lord and I take this reverently and seriously and I'm going to handle it carefully and not abusively with the power and the position I have that's how you would be that's the right way and we need to remind like oh Lord you've given me this great opportunity this is is amazing I need to just walk in humility I need to apply what you taught me when I worked the minimum wage job you know it's a funny thing about when you look at CEOs and bosses, you know, people that run stuff, you'll find more often than not that, you know, they'll, they'll talk, you know, they say, what was your first job? And, and no one just gets there by dumb luck. You know, there's a process. You, you, you have the job and you can just, you can chart how, how it works and how it w- goes. And then like, but you can't become full of yourself because then you can't be used by the Lord anymore. And it's such a dangerous thing. Poverty, more often than not, keeps us clinging to the Lord much more than prosperity. But if you could handle prosperity, and you could, and some of you can, obviously, we're a generous church, then you do it by clinging to the Lord, right? Like, that's how you do it. We have to cling to the Lord. We have to cling to the Lord. And if we know that it's all His, it's, it's a very freeing thing. It's a very freeing thing when in your heart and your mind that you know that everything you have came from the Lord, then that way if someone steals it, burns it, destroys it, it doesn't hurt as much. Oh, Lord, 
Someone took your money. We hardly ever respond like that. Those thieves, they hacked this. And it'd be like, no, it's the Lord's. And, and that's why I encourage everybody all the time to sow bountifully of your time and your energy and your resources. Because if you're a bountiful sower and you have the difficult day, you, you, you know that you're good. Like, you're good. Because the wealth is always there. The wealth doesn't leave when kingdoms leave. When all those monarchies died off after World War I and all the wealth they attained for centuries, it didn't go with them. It stayed on planet Earth. It just gets redistributed. And who better to redistribute wealth than the one who controls it all, the living God? That's why he says he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He just, he can do what he wants to do. Or as Paul said, my God is able to supply all your needs according to his glory. He's got it. So it's never about like what we can attain. It's what we receive and being faithful with it and acknowledging that the Lord is over all of it. I was in the meeting with Brian Broderson about a month ago with Pasha from Russia when he was here. And Brian had a very keen insight on something. He was talking, we, we got on the topic of people who give large sums of money and then want to control what they gave the money to. You remember Pastor Chuck has a story when he needed a, thousand, a million dollars. You know, it's a pretty famous story. He needed a million dollars, exactly a million dollars. And a guy came up to him with a million dollars. like, oh, thank the Lord. You know, like, you know, 17 years in the wilderness in Prescott and the guy gives you a million dollars like, okay. And the Lord's like, you can't take it. And if you take it, he's going to think that he controls everything. And Brian Broderson brought up how this often happens in the mission field where people give money and then they kind of want to they kind of want to call the shots with that money. And they feel like they've got the buy in like they're the majority stockholder so they determine what you do with the stock and stuff. And Brian said something in his wisdom cuz he's always got wisdom. And he said when you can sow bountifully you have to be very careful of the hero syndrome. And Brian, what's the hero syndrome? It's when you give and you're the hero. There can only be one hero, Jesus Christ. We get to sow bountifully. And that's why we try to do everything anonymously. But that is just such a word to not be the hero. We give a good chunk of money today to someone that's been so faithful off the radar, serving the Lord in the most amazing ways. You know, I hand them the check. They didn't even see the amount. And they said, they're going to send it to their sick mom in Central America before they even saw the amount. Isn't that beautiful? So it's really like, it's not, we're not the hero. We didn't build the empire. We're not sowing the empire. We're, We're vessels and we're letting God work through us. This is really something God's been showing us because we are a generous church. Showing me, and I'm sharing it with you. I'm just sharing my heart with you. But that's really important. That I can't say, oh, we did this and we made this happen. God has told me to cast a bigger net. And we're, we're, we're looking for missionaries of other churches we love and respect that we can send support to. Because he owns everything. So if he's saying cast a bigger net, then that means start finding more people. Give more and find more. And that's what we're doing. But he made very clear to me in February of this year, you are not the hero. Don't try to be the hero. 
and look out for people who are heroes. Amen? Amen, right. So you know what? Don't say we did this. The Lord did this. And we're very grateful. And we're just trying to be faithful. Now we read on as we go into the next chapter. Because we don't want to perish because we think we're a hero. (laughs) Jesus is the hero. There are no other heroes. It all is by him and for him and in him and through him. Now, chapter 9 says this. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go and dispossess the nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities greater, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of Anakim, who you know and of whom you've heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. So here in chapter 9, Moses kind of shifts the gear. He's like, hey, obey all the commandments. You are tested in the wilderness. It produced character. You are tested. You've been humbled. He's going to give you great things. You know, everything you need, you're going to have. You're going to bless him when you have it. When you're got all these great things, and you're multiplying, your, your wealth is multiplying, your, everything's doing good, your 401k, your real estate investments, even your gold and silver, it's all doing good, and you're multiplying. Don't say, I did it. Say, it's the Lord. Keep humble and stay on track with the Lord. Then he goes, now listen to this. Know this. You have to go into that land, and you're going to have to face the giants, literally. But know this, God goes before you. God goes before you to destroy them, and it's a mighty opponent, much stronger than you. Aren't you? I'm just so glad that the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm just so happy that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm just so thankful that the impossible is God's possible. And that's why the Bible always tells us that with man it's impossible, but God, with God all things are possible. I'm so glad we have those passages and faith in Jesus to stand on these passages and know they apply to every situation in our life. I'm just so grateful. But he did say he's going to go before you and he's going to wipe them out. But then you're going to go in there and you've got to wipe them out. So he's going to start the deal, but you got to finish the deal. It's kind of like faith, like God's sovereignty, and then the self-determination to follow through on our end. Faith and the works of faith. Like Abraham offering up Isaac. Abraham believed God. It was accounting for righteousness. And then decades later... With his grown son, he has to be willing to offer him up so that we can see that that faith is real. We need to see the action of that faith. And we're, we're taught that lesson through the book of James. you got to drive them out. you, you, you got to drive them out and destroy them quickly. Some things you just don't mess around with. you got to like, no, and like you're the new boss, whatever. You know, you got to fight. Those people are gone. they got to go. Let them go. they got to let them go. Like sometimes just, hey, you know what? They're gone. We just, you got to go. There's just times you got to, you just got to drive things out. And the Lord goes before you. It's like, it's difficult, but someone has to make this decision and we got to make the decision. They got to go. They're out. Or, nope, that's not going to work that way. There's no, the policy of appeasement never works with evil. It never works with evil. The policy of appeasement. It never works with evil. Evil wants more. The devil wants more. So if God says something has to be destroyed and he's going to destroy it and says, now I'm destroying it, but I want you to come in and close the deal, you got to go in and destroy it, whatever it is. If, you know, he's saying it. 
Think about Jeremiah. When Jeremiah started his ministry, God's like, hey, don't say I'm a youth. I'll put my words in your mouth. Before you were even conceived, I knew you. I formed you, and you're going you're gonna to do all this stuff. Great, what am I going to do? You're going to tear down, you're going to root out, and you're going to rip out. <laughs> Welcome to the ministry. You know, you go to Jeremiah chapter 1. It's like, hey, you're going to build a new temple. You're going to plant vineyards. You're going to do the Passover and all stuff. No, he's like, you're going to rip out, tear down, and shred everything that's contrary to me and offensive to me in my land of promise. That's what you're going to do. Your ministry is not going to be like, hey, bigger buildings, bigger radio ministries, some TV, some online livestock. No, it's like you're going to destroy everything that's contrary to me. That's what you're going to do. Your dad was a priest. You're a prophet. Now start ripping things out. Get after it. And then you get like 50 chapters of dislike, all the conflict he got because he obeyed the Lord in the last generation that was hauled off to captivity. But he was faithful. He was faithful. So some things you just got you just got to do it. It's not pleasant. It's not easy. Can't we all get along? It's just some things. Just you just got to. It's the end. That ministry is done. That thing is done. That relationship is forever done. It's done. You forgive, but you just it's done. It's toxic. It's done. It'll kill you. Verse four. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord has driven them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go into possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people." Isn't that a great line? Like, I'm looking back, Sam's smiling at me. That's just like, what a line. Like, the Lord's like, okay, so, you know, through Moses, like, you're going in, and, and, and don't think because you're righteous. Like, so when you're victorious, it's like, wow, well, I got, like, superpowers, like, angel in the outfield. It's like, wow, this is crazy. I can, I can leap, like, I do all these things. Don't think because, don't think because it's you, and you're, like, a really good person, and you're just, like, God's favorite child in the family. No, you're stiff-necked. You're so lucky you're on this team. And yet he's given you superpowers, like superpowers to do what he's called you to do. But it's not because you're better than these people. These people are so wicked and he's driving them out. And of course, God would say time and time again, they're extremely wicked. Don't do what they do or I'll drive you out too. He's an equal opportunity dealing with wickedness. But he said, these people are so wicked. Don't say like, oh man, you guys are rolling. Team Israel, let's go, let's go. Let's go, Team Israel. Leading off our Team Israel. Judah, what's up? You know, like Amalek, you know, like, no, it's not like that at all. You are stiff-necked people. You're, you're blessed because I made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I keep my promises. See, this is what I talk about all the time in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. The confidence we have in serving the Lord to step out in faith, to turn from sin, to do the things, make that call, make this right, whatever, make straight the crooked path. Our confidence is not based on that we're a good person. No, we're stiff-necked. Our confidence is based upon Jesus Christ and the positional righteousness we have in him through faith in him. And that's why I say we're not hoping for victory. We're coming from victory. So who's going to say like, oh, I'm, I'm qualified to do what God wants me to do? Like, oh, God... I'm your man. It's like the Pharisee. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like this loser over here. And, and what does it say that man just went away because he was talking to himself? But the sinner's like, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God said, Jesus said, that's the guy that's justified. 
So the best thing we can do is say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I don't even have a clue what I'm doing, but you are faithful, you are good, you are merciful, your mercies are new every morning. It's, it's uh, the Danny Gokey song, it's a new day, man. I got a new day, and it's a new morning. And, uh, you know, our train wrecked yesterday, but it's a new day, and I can't change yesterday. So can we just start today? Sure, batter up, let's go. And so we have confidence because we're coming from victory, knowing that we're stiff-necked people saved by grace. That's what's happening. Praise the Lord. Because I learned early on in ministry, if I made it about me, then when I, when I have a really bad run, I, like, I want to quit the team. I want to change like, my purpose in life. I just want to throw, throw it in. And you see people quit the ministry, but if they're truly called, it's a mistake. And if they weren't called, then they shouldn't have been there. But you do feel like some people walk away, but they, they tried to do it in their own strength. And that therein is the, the mistake. We're stiff-necked, and we have to be saved by grace, and we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, we read on here. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Oreb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. So the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord God made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. You neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commend them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you, Moses, a nation mightier greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tops of the covenant were in my hand. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as the first, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed and doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at that same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, burned it with fire, crushed it, ground it very small until it was fine as dust, and I threw its dust in the brook that descended from the mountain. So in reminding them that they're stiff-necked people, and you, know, you can picture, like, if you go back to the scene there with all happened with the molded calf and all, the golden calf and all that, that some of these older people were there as teenagers, right? Because Cadus Barina is about a year after that. So you could have been like 16 going like, ooh, it's a golden calf party in the desert, you know? And you think it's funny, right? Like 16-year-olds would think at a golden calf party, I suppose. But then like Moses like, yeah, you thought it was really funny. And, you know, and this is what happened. And I did this and did that. And no one's laughing. And it, yeah, so it's like, right. You are stiff necked people that's what you did and he says he says the key phrase here is you acted wickedly in the sight of the lord he uses the word wicked and that's what they were 
They, they did wickedly. So it was behavior, their idolatry. So he's reminding them, like, when you're in the land and you've got this great vineyard and these waters and this irrigation system and you whooped Amalek because I whipped them for you, and you got all this good going and you're multiplying, multiplying, and your sheep beget sheep and your goats beget goats and the cows beget cows, and you're just rolling, you got all this wealth, and don't say, like, I'm so good. You're not good. You made a golden calf. That's what you did. That's your beginning. That's who you are. That's who you are, Israel. You're, you're dancing on a golden calf. So don't say it's you. You are saved by grace. You are not saved by works. You are saved by mercy and the blood. And ultimately, we're saved through Jesus Christ, which all those Passover and those sacrifices pointed toward. It's hard being sinful and letting the new nature take over the old nature. That's why Paul said to the Galatians, the spirit and the flesh, they war against each other. It's It's hard. But the alternative is just to roll over and be carnal and act like an animal and not bear any fruit and bear all the consequences of sin. That's not an alternative. We got to go forward. And Paul said, like, you know, in Romans 7, oh, man, it's so frustrating. Like, I don't do what I should do, and I do the things I shouldn't do. I think we can all relate to that. But we are under construction. We are a work in progress. God is working in us. You're not the same person you were a year ago. Hopefully, you're not the same. You don't have to be. And you're not the same person you were six months ago. You don't have to be. If you are, that's your choice. It's not, it's not that God can't do it. And when I ask for God to help me with certain things and whatnot, I was like, Lord, help me help myself. Help, help me just kind of move toward a better volitional will and better choices. And help me not to put myself in places where I, I need, you know, del- deliverance in that sense. Help me to just be, help me to make good decisions. I don't blame you for my failures, but I thank you for my forgiveness. Can you relate to that? I don't blame the Lord for my failures. I thank him for my forgiveness, and I just try and learn from my mistakes. And sometimes you're like, man, you just sometimes even like it, we just never arrive. We're never going to arrive in this life, but we can become more who we're meant to be. We can be more of who we're meant to be for the day of the Lord than who we are who we were yesterday. That is obtainable. So we grow, we abide, we humble ourselves, we receive reproof, we receive correction, and it's upward and onward with the Lord. Yes, they were the younger generation is a part of that golden calf incident, and the nation itself was identified with the golden calf, but that golden calf does not have to be our identity in the year of our Lord, day one, going across the Jordan River to enter the promised land and receive the blessings. That golden calf might be the heritage and the legacy of our younger life, the legacy of our parents' life and our grandparents' life and all that it says. It does not have to be our legacy. That doesn't have to be our legacy. But when we're blessed by the Lord, we got to remember that, that that was back there. Unless we think we're too good for that, we could be there. That's what Moses is saying. Don't get puffed up. Then he finally says here, Also at Tibera and Massey and Kiroth Havata, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barina, saying, Go up and possess the land which I've given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. You did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I prostrated 
myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, Oh, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he had promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. So you see, God is faithful to himself, right? And the Bible tells us in, in Timothy, when we're faithless, he remains faithful. So even here is like, so the first thing he held them accountable for was just their wickedness with the golden calf. Then he says, no, that, you wouldn't go in. So you had unbelief. See the distinction? One is the wicked acts that they did, their idolatry. But the second one, you just didn't enter in. You just, you just didn't believe God's promises to enter in. So you acted sinfully. And then when God says, just believe me and go get what I've promised you, you did not, you were, it is unbelief. So one is the sin of wickedness, just rebelling against the Lord. But the other one was the sin of unbelief of not believing God at what he says and going into and entering after all that he has for us. That's what they did. They were guilty of both. And in the end, what do we see? God is still faithful. God did not destroy them. Moses pleaded for them. He was merciful to them. They did go into the promised land. They did have victory. God kept his word because God is true to his promises. And this is our final thought here. God is faithful. He's faithful to himself. And again, that's our confidence to go forward from shortcomings, failures, and discouragement is that God is faithful to himself. He is faithful to his people. He's faithful to his promises. So even when Nehemiah was leading the prayer there when they came back from the captivity or when, you know, when he came from there to build the walls. He reminds God of his promises and his faithfulness, and that's, that's how we go forward. Our confidence is not ourselves. It's God being faithful to his covenant, which he has with his church through Jesus Christ, and we can trust in what he's done with the cross and the empty grave for his church in every generation and for our lives personally in this one. So we know that God is faithful. We trust in God's faithfulness. And we know we're saved by grace. And we try and move forward from grace. We try to walk in grace and and be matured by grace. That's who we want to be.